If you're an inventor, you will love this interview today with Alan Beckley, the inventor of the Wonder Wallet. He sold over 2.5 million units of his product through a license deal. And he explains how you can also get a license deal for your product and hopefully find similar success. Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Growth Podcast, focused on helping consumer product companies, inventors, and entrepreneurs harvest the growth potential of their product businesses by teaching cutting-edge marketing strategies and interviewing successful marketers, as well as product marketing experts that share their stories to inspire you to achieve hyper-growth for your own business. I'm your host, John LeClaire, founder and CEO of Harvest Growth, and I believe that if you want to make your product the next household name, you just need need to follow the right plan and that even the best products struggle to succeed when they step away from proven strategies that work. If you'd like to learn more about what we call the perfect launch process for marketing products, check out harvestgrowth.com. And if you still have questions on how you can implement this process for your business, you'll see a link on our homepage to set up a free consultation with one of our product launch specialists. I'm really excited to have on the show today with us, Alan Beckley. Now he's an inventor extraordinaire. He's had great success that he's gonna share in this interview today with a product called the Wonder Wallet, which you probably have heard about. He's gonna explain what that is and kind of remind you if you've, if you've forgotten or, or explain what it is so you can definitely understand that. And on top of being a very successful inventor, he's taken that history and now he does a, a weekly podcast. It's called Inventors Helping Inventors. And that's where his life has now taken a turn where he's been so successful. He wants to share that success with others, other inventors and entrepreneurs, which are many of our listeners as well. So I'm excited to have you on the show, Alan. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me, John. I'm very excited to be here. So let, tell us the story. I guess, first of all, let's talk about the product. So what is the Wonder Wallet? So the Wonder Wallet is a solution to what I call the rump bump. Almost every man carries a lot of cards. We are a very card-laden society. And every wallet on the market, except the Wonder Wallet, stacks them all in one big thick deck, right? So what happens is you put it in your back pocket and you get the rump bump, as I call it, causes a lot of pain. And your cards get cracked and damaged. You throw them on the car seat and then you leave it in your car and worlds of things happen. So I struggled with that for a few years looking for a solution. And honestly, I didn't find it. I tried bifolds and trifolds, and it was always the same because it stacked them in one stack. So with the Wonder Wallet, it actually creates, lays them out like a photo album. So it actually makes two stacks instead of one. And then when it closes, it's half as thick, holds twice as many cards, and it actually flexes so it doesn't hurt when you sit on it. So that's, that's my IP. That's the, my two patents in there. And... I've sold to so many people that say it took care of their sciatica. I used to sell to a lot of veterans at the VA hospitals and they would say it gave them relief and their wives would say it's the first gift that her husband ever really loved, you know? So anyways, but that's the wonder wall. That's what's unique about it and why it really solves a problem of, as I call it, the rump bump. It's thin, it's flexible, holds lots of cards anywhere from 24 to even, um, 32 cards, depending on the model. Um, the Wonder Wall itself really holds 24. And uh, women love it too, because it organizes their things where they can quickly find any card in seconds. That's, that's what's unique about it. 
I love it. And it's, it's interesting because you think about there's so many other wallets out there on Kickstarter, for example, and they're all, it's all about being thin. That's a huge problem, especially for men, right? If you put it in your back pocket or even your front, like I wear mine in my front pocket and it's, it's still, I just love having a thin wallet. Right. They're all the same, right? All they, all they try to do is get the outside material thin, but it's a single stack. Right. I, I love that you came up with the idea like, well, I can make it literally twice as thin by, by getting rid of the double stack as it were. Now, is that where the IP is? Can anybody else compete with you on the double stack? idea i guess um they could in a sense the ip there's really like three separate there's two different um two different patents and there's three different things that that separated and one of them is the the design of the the insert itself the plastic insert has its own patent on it because it grips the card so they don't slide out accidentally without that the design would not work and most others that do two stacks still hold the cards horizontally instead of vertically. And that ends up still with a wallet where you're sitting against the cards and bending and cracking them. So it does not much of a solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so important to get that IP protection out there, of course, as you come up with an idea like yours, because it can be can be easily taken if not, if the protection's not there. Um, and so it's a yeah, great, great job for you for doing that. Did you do that very early in your process? I did. Uh, you know, I started this in 2002 and I knew nothing. So I just went and found a patent attorney and talked to him about it and filed a patent because I didn't know any better. So <laughs> fortunately, I, the good fortune was at least I had a product that was worth patenting because that I would not advise somebody to do it that way now. So, Well, and let's talk about the length of time because you mentioned that before we started this interview, we had a little conversation and you, know, you mentioned how it took 13 years to ultimately get your product license. So 2002, fast forward to 2015 when you achieved a successful license and we'll talk about that. But I want to first talk about you know, what happened in that 13 years. What, right. what did you do during that time and maybe some of the learnings you've had on how you can shorten that now with inventors that you work with? Sure. Such great questions. Well, uh, to be a lot of it really was I was full-time employed as a telecom project manager and doing this with whatever time I had, you know, on the side, like most inventors, quite honestly. And also I really had no idea how to go about doing this. So I was making it up as I went along and my goal had been to license it. And for the first three years, I went and pitched when I could to some of the big wallet manufacturers. They all liked the concept, but the fiscal silhouette or plan form size is a little larger it does fit in all pockets, but it's a little larger. And they were off put by that. And the gentleman who's CEO of Tandy Brands Accessories at that time said, you know, Alan, this is a product. We all get it. It's really a great product. But he said, it won't sell in retail store, which is not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and he said, here's why. When you show it or demonstrate it, we can see it and get it. But if it's sitting on a shelf, it looks like it's going to be a thick, even bigger wallet. And he says, you should take this to QVC. This is a sell on TV product. And that was one of those famous pivots, right? We always talk about pivoting in business because instead of thinking, well, wait a minute, I've been focusing so hard to go to the wallet manufacturers and license it. Instead, I need to pivot. And I, I was already manufacturing by that point anyways, doing, I, I also pivoted in the sense of deciding, look, I'm going to manufacture some of these and see if people will buy them and put it out there. And so, you know, I found a Chinese manufacturer and in fact, the gentleman from Tandy Brands referred me to somebody who was an excellent contact that I actually used for eight years when I was manufacturing. So as part of that 13 years, I was manufacturing in China, importing, bringing it in, selling it anywhere and everywhere that I could. And customers love the product. 
So that's when I knew I definitely had something. And I always wanted to go back to licensing. But when I got on QVC, the product sold well on QVC. I was on there for two years in the fall each time. And we sold about $130,000 worth of product, uh, which is actually quite good for something like a wallet. And um, then after that, I was convinced that it needed to go to what most people call infomercials or direct response TV, DRTV. And so that's when I started focusing on that. And that was, I call it a five-year journey just because I was doing other things, but I was continually pitching it to DRTV companies. And it always was the timing wasn't quite right. Um, and then finally in 2015, I was able to sign a large, a deal with uh, all-star products, one of the biggest in the business. And, you know, they took it big time to the marketplace about, um, 15,000 stores. They sold two and a half million over a period of a couple of years when it was going through really the big phase. Um, I forgot what the second question was. Well, let's, I want to get back to that volume real quick though. It's two and a half million units, not dollars. It was almost, dollars. Think, almost $40 million in sales, almost $40 million right? in sales. Yeah. Two and a half million in units. Yeah. So that was actually a very successful product in that space. Um, and it was lucrative and has been lucrative for me as well. So what do you think was the, the pivot point to being now successful to getting on to, you know, in, into a license deal? Cause it took you five years pitching, hey, it's not the right time or there's, you know, there's always no's you're going to get thrown at you. So what do you think helped you finally get to that? Yes. So great question. And there's a specific answer and that is, and I suggest this to every inventor, learning how each part of an industry works, you know, learning it kind of from the inside. And so when I was focused on, you know, DRTV or infomercial, what I realized is something like 97% of the things that are tested fail. In other words, there's a very high failure rate. And most people, my initial approach was to go to an all-star or whomever. And unless it just knocks their socks off, if you bring an untested product to them, they're probably going to pass on it. It took me a while to realize this. And then I met a gentleman named Bob Greenstone, who is you know, been in the, the industry forever. And he's one of the few people out there who's actually willing to do a web test, as it's called, on a product if he likes it and thinks it has potential. And even further than to do a TV test, which has a fair significant cost, also for free. And he liked my product. He web tested it, did great in the web test. And then they TV tested it and it did really well in the TV test. And then we had metrics to take to All-Star. So the same company now that we took those metrics to said, oh yeah, we'll take it. We'll have to test ourselves too. But if we can validate this and if it works for us, we'll take it. It was like easy then. So that's a kind of a long answer, but it does describe learning that, oh, in this business is about metrics. If you've never tested it, it can be a big risk. And so many inventors spend thousands, $30,000 to some company who's going to do nothing more than take a fly on, on the product and it probably isn't going to work, you know? Right. That makes yeah, sense. It's, there's a lot of invention type, help type companies out there and there's some good ones uh, for sure. But many of them, as you said, they take a flyer, they put it into a brochure, they you know, mail it out to people. But what we found too is it's all about results. You know, as, as you saw in your story, if you can bring in any kind of meaningful result, no matter what industry you're in. So in the infomercial direct response TV industry, you know, the further along you can take it, of course, the easier it's going to be to get a license deal. So as you did doing a small TV test to prove on TV, 
hey, this sells is you know great ammunition that you can take into somebody like All Star. But that also works with other other industries also where you can take in proven results, some sort of sales history, right? Whether it's selling on Facebook and Instagram or you know or on Amazon or or whatever it might be, proving that you have an audience for your product opens doors. It changes the type of conversation that you have with these potential licensees, right? I've seen that as well many times. So once you started your license deal, once you you gave the reins over to All Star, how were you involved after that point? Well, not surprisingly, I wasn't that directly involved. In other words, they they decide how much or how little they really want you involved. I mean, I said, look, you're going to roll this out on HSN, which they did. And they actually focused on women, which turned out to be a great strategy. Um, and I said, Hey, I'll be happy to, to be on HSN for it. And they said, I think we got this covered. You know, I think we got somebody to do that in so many words. And so then I thought, you know, after all these years of 24 seven, almost, you know, manufacturing, doing it all myself, I'm okay to step back and work on some other things. I took a trip to Australia and enjoyed that and was able to take my kids to Machu Picchu. So, you know, I finally took a little time off. But then I did start pretty quickly in thinking, I've had some success. Now my goal is to help other inventors to move forward more quickly because now I knew many ways that you could shorten that time span so it would be a lot less than what it had taken me. And that's, of course, what part of your topics of your podcast are, is help inventors helping inventors, as, you know, as even the title says. Of course, that's, that's part of your goal there. Uh, I do want to encourage everyone to visit his website as well, alanbeckley.com. It's B-E-C-K-L-E-Y. And we're going to get into uh, some different pieces of that website and what you do as a business as we continue our conversation. But I'll put that in the show link or show notes as well, a link to this. So you can check out Alan's website and see how he does help. So if you've got questions as an inventor on where to get started, et cetera. So I guess, let let me ask, so if if we think about our audience, what's the right type of person or what stage are they at that you can best help them? I guess especially in the beginning stage when they have an idea and they're thinking, I don't know what to do next, or even an inventor that has moved along into a little bit more of an intermediate stage because still often you've got your prototype, you've got your IP moving forward, you know, you're already filed for a patent, but so many inventors just hit a wall and say, I don't have any clue how to go pitch this. And I've learned a lot about pitching, not just an all-star, but also pitching to any company that the person on the other side of that table speaks a really different language than the inventor does. And most inventors don't get this. They want to talk about how we're all going to be millionaires. This is the greatest product ever. And you're talking to people who consider themselves product experts and they think of you as a novice and you're almost insulting them when you say silly things like that. But that's natural because that's the way we talk to each other. But then when you put yourself on their side of the table, they're focused on what is the risk what is the potential profitability of this product? Does it have a 5X markup? How does it compare with what else is out there in the field right now, you know, already selling? Why is it a better solution? That's the kinds of things they're focused on. They're marketers, not engineers, so to speak. And most inventors don't realize that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, we see that all the time. So I get, you know, with my business where we help inventors, you know, as we talked before, you, you're a great consultant to help them. We're a more of a service provider. So, you know, our types of businesses work very well together. Um, we help once they're ready to go. So once they've gotten to the stage of having inventory, we, we help launch as my audience knows. Um, and we get a lot of phone calls because that many of them are you know, a little bit too early for us, but it's almost, it leads to 
you know, when you hear that, you almost start rolling your eyes. We're like, right, this is the best idea ever. It's going to be the biggest success. And, you know, it's, it may be a great product, but it's, it's, you know, hearing that over and over again, it's, it's not about their excitement. It's about, Hey, let's get some proof behind this. We want to, we want to understand what consumers have to say about this more important than what I think or what the inventor thinks. It's about having some kind of success to share. So we do a lot of market research as well that to confirm that, as you mentioned, web tests before or doing a survey or something to prove the concept that it's not just personal belief that it's going to be successful. I don't want to discount that because that's one of the things I personally love about working with inventors is that in the insane level of excitement, right? right it's, right. it makes it fun for sure, but you've got to include with that some data, some metrics, right. et cetera, as you help these conversations. So what are other, so besides, you know, coming, help, helping them with the pitch, what are some other, I guess, big questions or very common questions that you get that you help with inventors? So one of them is, so wait, wait a minute, if I'm going to go show this to somebody, aren't they just going to knock it off? Isn't that just too risky? You know, they're just going to steal my idea. That's like the number one question. And short answer to that is, of course, there's a risk of that. But I've got to tell you, your Uncle Joe is not going to steal your idea. He's not going to spend thousands of dollars, do packaging, try to figure out how to re retail product, how to manufacture and all the rest. There's, the average person is not going to go through that blood, sweat and tears. But the flip side is, if you take it to a manufacturer and you aren't patent pending, and they, they got the production line right there and they could be producing product in a month. And if you, you know, that is a risk then. So that's, so that's one of the ones is, oh, people are just going to steal my idea. And the challenge with this is a lot of inventors just do nothing. It's gathering dust in their garage where nobody's going to steal it, including them, if that makes sense. So that's, that's one. And just, again, the thought that, oh, everybody loves this product without testing, as you described, and there's nothing out there like it. And sometimes they'll tell me that and I'll go to a store and I'll see three things that are almost, almost the same, you know, because yeah. they want to believe they're that unique and they've done no research. That would be the second answer to your question is they've got to do the research, do their homework, really look on all these places like Alibaba.com and Amazon and see if it's out there because it may already be out there, something very similar. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's, it's doing a little bit of legwork and it can take some time to do that, but making sure, you know, you as the inventor that's approaching a company to pitch your, your product to or, or someone to license to, et cetera, you should have much more research behind you than they're going to be able to do in, in the next 24 hours, right? So when they can uncover things that you, you can't or you haven't yet, then it can, it can really kill a deal as well. So just going in prepared, knowing your product and knowing, you know, almost always there's going to be a competitor out there that is relatively similar. It's just understanding how big they, their market, you know, how big their level of success is, for example. So, you know, you're going to find it on Alibaba, right? There might be manufactured, but it may not be marketed or it may be on Amazon, but it may not be selling well. And there's ways to find that actually on Amazon to see levels of, of sales or estimated levels of sales for products. So just because it exists, doesn't mean that they've done it right or that it's you know, true competition, et cetera. But, but having that understanding going into it, you're going to be much more prepared as you, as you pitch it or as you prepare to market it yourself as well. So who are, besides the TV industry, what are common places to go to find sources or licensees, you know, sources to, to license your product to? So in essence, for every inventor, the first thing you want to ask is who are some key manufacturers of products that are at least similar to this? So if you have something that is in the um, lawn and garden area, so who are some 
lawn and garden manufacturers. You know, and sometimes you have to do some digging. Uh, you can go to uh, thomasregistry.com is a great place to find manufacturers of everything and then dig into that a little bit and find out who the manufacturers are. Then make you a list of those key manufacturers of similar kind of products. Maybe it's a tool item. So Stanley Black & Decker was one of the biggest in the business might be a great place to pitch that product. But then you need to know what their product line looks like. What do they already have? Go check out their, um, their you know, um, annual reports and things like that to see what their product focus is. That's part of that homework. Understand what areas they are you know, expanding into and what product lines and areas are they looking like they're selling off. So you need to understand what the company looks like before you go. So does that, does that make sense? The key thing is you yeah. need to find manufacturers. The biggest mistake inventors make is they think a store retailer, and it's not a retailer. It's not going to be, you don't go to Target because Target is a distributor. They're not going to do a license deal. They don't license things. And a lot of inventors don't understand this. They think they can just go to Walmart and Target and they can license their product. But those companies, they're distributors, they're stores. They don't license things. You have to go to a manufacturer. Yeah. And one of the reasons you consider a license deal, it's not for everybody, right? Because some people do want to manufacture and build their own business. But retail is that oftentimes that financial hurdle where even if, if you take a product in and you, let's say you did manufacture some small volume and you get Walmart or Target really excited about it, you've got to have the cash flow now to really build up your inventory and not get paid for, it could be 60, 90, 120 days or more from when you manufacture to ship, to get it to their warehouse till they actually pay you for it. So it's that, it's that float. And that's where a license deal can be so helpful to an inventor that may be strapped for resources or may not have the interest, right? It's, it's a, it's a whole different animal when you're running the business as opposed to having the idea and licensing on somebody else that this is what they do on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. So what's next for your, your business? What's your, your, your focus now? What are you doing and how are you helping inventors? So my grand, grand focus, one of them clearly is the Inventors Helping Inventors podcast. My view is that I can reach a thousand. I, I really, my big goal, my stretch goal is to help a million inventors to be successful. And I don't mean literally like all to license their products, but listening to all the inventors that are on Inventors Helping Inventors. These are successful inventors like... Um, Scrub Daddy and many of others, they learn something from every one of these inventors for free. And so if I can continue to expand that web and get more and more listeners, more and more people, they just tie into all of a sudden listening to now 50 plus, 60 plus inventors that have been successful and learn from them for free. So that's why I'm very passionate about my podcast. But secondarily, I do, as you mentioned earlier, I do a weekly almost weekly, most of the time it's weekly, free webinar called How to License Your Invention for Royalties, where I share the things that I learned. And it's just at alanbeckley.com slash license. Um, and that's also helping a lot, of, a lot of inventors understand why licensing is often a better way to go than manufacturing, because I did both. And I can speak to the do-it-yourself or venturing, and you described it so eloquently they think it's great to get in a retail store but what if you don't get paid for 120 days what if when you do get it into target they suddenly say it's not selling very well in the northeast so we're going to return your shipments like you're going to return the shipment i just borrowed a bunch of money from the bank on and leave me with a mountain of product and the answer is uh yeah <laughs> that does that 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on Alan's website, he's got a great blog that he's been doing for years as well with some, a ton of great content. There's a course on there that you can, he walks you through exactly what to do. Um, But also he's been nice enough to offer to our audience a free 30 minute coaching session. So anybody who's listening to this that would like to reach out to Alan directly and hear from him specifically for your business, some advice on how you can be a more successful inventor. So go to alanbeckley.com forward slash coaching. And again, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. So you can just click on that. But uh, thank you for offering that to our audience. I know that's extremely helpful. It's, it's great to hear these podcast interviews, but it's so much more helpful to have one-on-one interaction where you can you know, talk directly to Alan and get feedback on your specific business, where exactly where you're at. He's been, he's been down this road for so long, had such great success, but also helped so many other inventors where he's got lots of stories that, that will fit for you, specifically for your business. I do encourage everyone to, to check that out. So Alan, is there anything I didn't ask in, in this interview you'd like to share with our audience? I think you've covered the territory pretty well. The one thing I would highlight just a little bit on alanbeckley.com, it's A-L-A-N-B-E-C-K-L-E-Y.com. Since there's two spellings for Alan sometimes. True. Um, Thank you. Anything else that I can think of? Uh, I think we, I think you really have done a great job of covering and I really like the fact that you brought out the challenge that you have when you take a product to market and get it into retail stores, the huge capital risk, basically you, you did, you said that very eloquently. Yeah, there are. And it's, you know, licensing, as I said before, is not for everyone. You know, some, I, I always get the question. I don't know if you get this too, Alan, when you talk to people, but it's, they're always asking me, uh, what should I do? Should I license this or should I manufacture on my own? And I, my answer is always, it really depends on your personality. So, you know, they're, they're both, there's difficulties on both sides, right? So if you, it's, it's your personality where you want to have this be successful, but you're okay not being connected with the day-to-day operations and don't want to deal with that and want to move on to the next invention, then licensing is fantastic. If you really want to feel, you know, not just be an entrepreneur, but you want to feel like you're an inventor, I'm sorry, not just an inventor, but an entrepreneur and really running the day-to-day business and you want to be involved in the day-to-day strategies, it does definitely take more work. Uh, You know, once you get it up and going, of course, it's a lot of work to find the license licensee, um, but it can be very rewarding as well. So it's just, you know, finding what your passions are, what you want to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Every path is difficult, but they all can be amazing as, as soon as you have success and you find out what you like to do best in, in that realm as well. Well, thanks again, Alan. I really appreciate your time on this interview. This has been a lot of fun and I feel like we could, we could chat for a long time with your background and all that you do to help with inventors. I do encourage everyone to go and check out his podcast as well and get more information on that. Uh, looking for inventors, helping inventors, uh, or go to his website and, and get a link directly from that as well. So thanks again, Alan. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, John. Thank you for your valuable insights and for taking the time to share your story. Our audience of inventors, entrepreneurs, and product marketers will benefit greatly from what you've taught us today. For the listeners, go to their website to learn more. Also, be sure to check out harvestgrowthpodcast.com to see other episodes that we have recorded. And if you like this episode and you want to learn more about how you can profitably grow your consumer product business, please subscribe to our show and leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. 